Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of Sensational, the Special Educational Needs Podcast, which is brought to you by Witherslack Group. My name is Claire, I'm the events manager here at Group and for those of you that are new to our little podcast, Sensational is all about offering advice and support to parents, carers and professionals supporting neurodiverse children and young people. Today we're going to be looking at a topic which I'm sure stirs up all kinds of feelings and emotions for parents and professionals alike and that is supporting neurodiverse children and young people to make friends. For this session I'm delighted to welcome not one but two expert speakers and that is Anne-Marie Harrison from Ideas of Fresh Education and Rob Stowe, Director of Character and Culture at Rainford High School in St Helens both with a wealth of experiences on this topic and therefore very able to guide us through our questions today. Um, Now, I know I've given a little bit of an introduction there for you guys, but would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Rob, maybe you can go first. Yeah, yeah. so I'm the Director of Character and Culture at Rainford High School. Um, I'm also the Head of Year 7 and Year 10 currently. Um, Earlier on in my career, my uh, second year, I was actually assistant Senko as well. So I'm in quite a a fortunate position, an interesting position where there's quite a lot of crossover in my role between um, special educational needs and behaviour. So that's kind of why I'm here today. Brilliant. Okay, over to you, Anne-Marie. Hi, I'm delighted to be here too. Um, As you said, I'm from Ideas of Fresh Education and I... um, support and um, work with families and professionals who have neurodiverse children. I've been working in education for the past few decades. I won't say how many reveals my age. <laughs> and uh, and um, I'm continually uh, empowered and um, inspired by the families I do work with. So I feel very honoured to uh, be here and to be sharing some of those experiences as we go along today. That's that's brilliant. Thanks ever so much. Okay, so let's get started. Now, I know for me as a mum, the days when you come home from school with a child who's been, you know, left feeling excluded or saddened by something that's happened during their day, well, it's just really difficult to see and to manage for both the child and, you know, the parents and carers as well. So today we really hope to share some experiences and offer support that families may find useful. So to begin with, this topic comes up an awful lot when we have question and answer sessions on our webinars. We regularly see parents and carers that are concerned about the difficulties their child is having fitting in with their peers in school and just basically making friends. So why do you think it is that we hear so often about neurodiverse children struggling in this area? Yeah, I'm happy to jump in there and start. That's all right, Andre. Yeah, yeah uh, I think that across neurodiverse children, dependence on the on the level of needs. I think that there's a a lack of understanding as to you know what is a friendship, what is a good friend, yeah. uh, and how to how to be that friend to someone. I think that that's always quite difficult. That level of understanding. I think we'll come into it a little bit later on that the, sometimes there yeah. needs to be some explicit teaching around that. Um, I think there's quite often, from a school point of view, we quite often see that they struggle with friendships because maybe a student who isn't considered neurodiverse might struggle with some of the behaviours of the neurodiverse child. Um, that's that you know I've got a few examples of that to maybe discuss at some point during this. I think we've got you know issues around perception. What do people think of me and the way that I behave? Yeah. Um, and potentially the point where they might shy away from social situations just generally because because they do struggle with them, so they don't immerse themselves in situations where they you know it. they can't yeah. have so 
social interaction. I think that would be my point. I think okay, I think that's really true, and I think um, you know the comment of perception in particular. And I think um, Claire, you made a nice observation there when you said about that feeling that parents have oh. as well. It's awful, isn't it? You, know, yeah. you just have this um, image of your lonely child at school. Yeah. And I think a lot of that kind of stems from our expectation of this kind of almost sort of osmotic learning when it comes to social skills and social friendships. And, yeah. of course, for our children, you know, they don't learn by osmosis. As Rob rightly says, you know, those skills often need to be taught. And I think that's where sometimes we lack focus yeah. and it, it's the most needed area for focus. Okay, brilliant. So let's move on to our next question now. So as we know, each child is different and may show their anxieties or sadness at not having their own circle of companions in, you know, varying ways. Some might withdraw completely from school and at home. Others might lash out with their frustrations. I imagine there are many, many ways in which it presents. So what experiences have you guys had with this and what behaviours did you see? Yeah, I think, you, I, think, I think you've hit the nail on the head, really. I think you either, you either you sort of see extreme emotions, so you'll either see the, the very much reserved child who will wander around alone and will want to be sort of, you know, will want to exclude themselves to a degree so that they don't have to get involved in that social interaction, particularly if they're struggling. I think you can also get the, the child who is struggling socially and therefore is in sort of a constant state of fight or flight. Um, and it, it be almost becomes attack before being attacked uh, because they've got that that yeah. because they're str you know struggling to that degree that they're, they're on the yeah. defensive. I think that's what we see mm -hmm. from school. And maybe over friendly as well. You know, sometimes you, like overtly over friendly kids who are yeah. who are over familiar with everybody, and and of course they don't have those lines of familiarity and and. Um, there's no restrictions just because it's a, someone in a different year group or mm. something like that. So mm -hmm. it's kind of back to that sort of soaking up that crucial social knowledge, isn't it? Yeah. And some of the differences. I, I remember when, um, you know, I, I was working in primary school and uh, we had a child there who he's only kind of inroad to trying to sort of be part of a friendship group was to pretend to be a dog. And, uh, you know, that was how he kind of connected yeah. with the other children. And I think sometimes it's that, isn't it? It's about understanding how can we equip our children with the means of a connection. And, you know, yeah. that's a, and start a question for us, isn't it? Petitioners, <laughs> really, yeah. I think what we also find is from, from those students who do struggle socially, they end up trying to attach themselves to an adult. Yeah. So you quite yes. often you quite often yeah. find that rather than rather than perhaps doing the wandering and the excluding themselves, they'll try and attach them to to an adult, a TA, a teacher, you know, someone who works yeah. in the building who, who they yeah. who, who they're comfortable with. So they have got that level of companionship on a level. Yeah, and yeah. of course their behaviour is a lot more predictable mm -hmm. than that of their peers' behaviour very often. Comfort so then is exactly, it. yeah. it's an easier connection, it's isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. It's funny you say that, actually, I was speaking to a parent not so long ago who said that their child particularly was found it so much easier to almost make friends with those, like the TAs and everything that you were mentioning. So it's something that a lot of people see. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, adults more accommodate better than peers sometimes, don't they? And yeah, definitely. I think Rob's yeah. point at the beginning about, you know, 
teaching peers to understand their the behaviour of the neurodiverse children in yeah. their class is really, really paramountly important. Absolutely. Okay, so for some neurodiverse children and young people, they might not fully understand actually what friendship even is. You know, how to communicate with somebody they want to develop a friendship with or what a good friend looks like as well. So how can we tackle this issue? I think from from my point of view, I think we, we do need to, and it, it's how much does this happen, I think we do really need to explicitly teach social skills yeah. to students. Um now, I know within our school, within the learning support department, I know that we have adults who will do things like um, social stories or visual models around um, certain behaviours, especially for, for students who struggle with social... Um, uh, what's the word? Sorry, conventions. So I think we, yeah. we'll, we'll use social stories for them. We'll use those those visual models to help them to understand those social conventions. Um, I think in school, what we try and do, we try and create situations or opportunities where where social interaction is needed. We have lots of Can clubs happen. in school. Yeah. Uh, we have we have the what we call the uh, ESC, which is the Everyone Succeeds Centre, which is like a kind of a base for students uh, who don't like maybe the the hustle and bustle of high school. You know, we, we're a school of sixteen hundred kids so to have that base for social time where they can spend some time play a couple of board games that type of thing I think that's quite a safe haven for them Um, and it gives them that that calmer environment to be able to try and socialise and and, and sort of um, soak in like I say the social conventions and learn from it Um, I think in terms of tackling, I think parents do play. I, I, maybe I can't speak as you know about this as much as Amory will, but parents are going to play a massive role in in teaching you know those those mm-hmm. social skills and maybe being able to role play certain scenarios uh, before actually getting to uh, you know to a social situation. I think that that teaching from home is really uh, crucial as well. I think you kind of touched on a, a a good sort of point that I was going to raise there, um, Rob. Anyway in terms of your centre providing opportunity for kids to focus on a board game and share an activity together. And I think often that's where we forget that actually that's a really positive starting place. Yeah, it is. Playing a game with one other person is sometimes enough of a draw on our social skill set. And I think parents at home, when we do practice play dates... And we kind of agree, what should we play? What might be a good game to share? And if there's things that absolutely are a don't share, they are, you know, like my favourite train or my favourite car or favourite level on Minecraft or Nintendo games, yeah. then that's not the one we're going to be opening You're not going to play that on the play date, Sharing that you? on your <laughs> play date, yeah. exactly. So I think, you know, you're the centre that you mentioned at school, Robbie's probably hopefully offering the same sorts of practice opportunities and I think practice 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 you know that's how any of us get good at a new skill and we've already said this is really about teaching good new skills isn't it or, it is yeah and know, I think what's what's really good about something really simple you know board games are, you know I'm sure to some degree will be extinct at some point board games yeah. everything's electronic now isn't it Don't but say that. I think what they, what they do, do <laughs> hopefully is they've got, not hopefully not I know because the, what, what they do provide isn't it, it the, the, it's that physical one to one it's the fact that there's turn taking involved so you've actually yeah, got quite focus, a lot of social conventions within a board game yeah. haven't you because you've got Definitely. to wait your turn you can't jump in yeah. and roll twice yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's all to teach us those skills. And sometimes for our kids, putting more structure in 
to that process can be really good. So I know one family that they, when they play board games, they don't only just have kind of the game on the go, but they have a cup and the cup gets passed for when it's your turn, as well as the dice or whatever is the particular object of the game, just so it is a bit more clear and there's even more clarity. And you can do that, "Ah, ah, ah, you've not got the cup, but, you know, and really sort of structure it even more than the game is perhaps instructed and give you know what I mean. Okay, some really good stuff there. So moving on, and we touched on it a little bit there, it is important for school and home to work together to help a child that is struggling socially. You know, what advice would you offer to others when it comes to developing that positive relationship between school and home so it can be achieved? I think... For me, it would be as a as a learner leader, as a head of year, I I kind of pride myself on my communication with parents, and will yeah. will quite often say, get in touch with me at any time of the day, night, three in the morning. I can't promise I'm going to answer straight away, but <laughs> yeah. but the point is, I think the more information that school has, the more information that the pastoral leader has, the more information that the head of year has around that situation, yeah. and the more information that can then be communicated with staff in terms of how students are feeling, what they're struggling with. I think that's really Really, really crucial. I think from from our point of view as well, it, it's to it's to, to keep that level of communication and try and be as positive as possible um, for yeah. me, and, and just share as much as possible and share the little wins, share the little losses, and obviously uh, and discuss further action. Yeah, from them. the wins is important, Very isn't important, it? Because yeah. I've spoken to parents before who said sometimes they might only speak to the school when something negative has happened, where they're getting for the phone call about yeah. something that's really not gone to plan that day. So to have a phone call from the school where their child succeeded at something is is really important isn't it definitely marking it and I know you know some schools send postcards home and things like that but I think I was recently um supporting a parent in a review meeting and it was interesting that the parent the child's been there he's in year eight now and obviously we've had lockdown and everything but the yeah. mum didn't know what the sanction system was. They had S1, S2, S3 and S4. And, you know, mum was having to find out. And the school's response was, well, it is in the policy, behaviour policy that, you know, the child will have signed at the start of, of school. It's yeah. not good enough communication, is it? You know, it needs to be exactly to as be Rob's saying. It's got to be open and constant and it's not just about sanctions, it's about celebrations as well. And yeah. I think that's, you know, really important. Yeah. yeah. OK, so moving on to our next question, which is maybe a little bit more tricky to, <laughs> to tackle. So unfortunately, I have spoken to parents as well whose children are having... Um, particularly quite negative experiences in school. They might be being bullied or singled out because of their neurodiversity. And uh, from what I can gather, this seems to be more the case for older age children. But can you offer any advice for parents and carers whose child might be experiencing this? What, What can they do next, really? I think someone. <laughs> Got, yeah. 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 don't sit on it and that, I think that happens a lot doesn't it Rob where yeah. you know yeah. it kind of sometimes is a eventually we've shared it with school and mm. you know sometimes children themselves are, and certainly older kids are a bit less perhaps um, forthright in sharing what's going yeah. on and for some of our children you know even identifying that they're actually being 
um, you know, taken advantage of or their vulnerabilities are being taken advantage of, I think can take some time before they actually share that. So I think, Rob, let you pick up with school, really. Yeah, I I think, uh, like you've said there, I think the, the more we know and the earlier that information is passed yeah. on the better and, and it might be that from a school point of view there might not always be an action based on whatever the first sort of you know information is that's yeah. passed on it might be okay we'll take a log of it but that log is really really crucial in being able to draw up a picture um, yeah. and I think yeah a lot of students will try and dilly their misunderstands that they are being taken advantage of or they'll try and deal with it themselves which okay, isn't always the worst thing in the world I think there's a level of resilience yeah. that needs to be there as well um but the more communication that we do have around that, um, those types of issues, bullying is bullying, regardless of whether you're neurodiverse yeah. or you're not. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's yeah. taken extremely seriously exactly. within our yeah. school. It's zero tolerance um, with yeah. any form of discrimination as well, which being neurodiverse will come under that. Um, and the mm-hmm. more information we get, the earlier we can put a picture together and then we will then work with parents on next steps. And we are mindful of parents' views and how they want things dealt with as well. And we'll always work as a team to try and get the best outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I think sometimes as parents as well, you're worried about, you don't want to be sort of harassing the yeah. school, you know, bringing every sort of single thing that happens to yeah. to you guys. We know how busy you are and everything like that. But I think the fact that you're saying, you know, a log of like an order of things and the way that they're happening, it helps build the picture of what's really going on, doesn't it? So like you said at the start there, tell someone when these things are happening. Yeah, so Definitely, because I think sometimes we all have, you know, if we took a poll now and said, like, what what do we perceive as bullying? Mm. We'd all have a different answer and we'd all have a different criteria that we'd think that's the point that we're going to tell someone or report Mm. it. Yeah, everyone's like a different threshold, don't we, what they can take type of thing. Absolutely, and sometimes I think it would be a good start if we changed the word bullying, really, and we started talking about reasons for feeling unhappy or you know, not wanting to to kind of be in school or be in a lesson. What are those feelings about? Because Mm -hmm. they are the root, really, aren't they, of often Mm -hmm. where bullying comes from is an anxiety. So this question I want to put directly to Rob, as it's something that parents and carers can perhaps pick up from and discuss with their own child's school if they're struggling. So can you give us some insight into what strategies you use within your school to help a child develop their social circle and make friends? Um, I think, again, I, I have, I've touched on it already. I think that what yeah. what we will do mm-hmm. is we'll try to we we will try to uh, refer to learn support where possible. If there is if, if there is an issue with kinds of social conventions and understanding non-verbal reason and that type of thing, if there's if there's issues there, we will we will look to uh, refer to learn support for visual models and social stories. Uh, we do use the as as I've mentioned the the ESC, which is the Everyone Succeeds Centre. Uh, we do use that um, as that kind of safe haven for students. That sounds fantastic. Um, yeah, which, yeah. It, it is. It's really good. It, it offers that opportunity again for a calmer environment where students, you know, if they don't yeah. want to be in the canteen with with hundreds of kids, they can they can kind of go there and and indulge in little bits of games and and, and chats and that type of thing, uh, which is really good. We do try and 
promote um I, I must say promote never force a friendship we are aware that there will be certain students within within a year group who are in similar positions it's not a case of just let's try and put them together but what we will do if if, if there's two students that we you know that we feel have got a level of understanding or they've got things in common we will try and common promote interests. that friendship yeah um we have had situations in the past where autodiverse students have said don't force me into a friendship i don't want to just be put with someone but actually, yeah. sometimes the way you put it forward, if they feel that they're actually supporting someone as well, it's, it's been yeah, quite often that. Someone, yeah. Looking at it from a slightly different angle has been crucial in being mm-hmm. able to pair people up. So we've had we've had some success around that. Um, we had, if I refer to a, a very particular case um, that I had in when I was the head of year eight a couple of years ago, we had a student who had um, just been diagnosed ADHD. Um, who mm-hmm. um, really, really struggled for the first around about, about a year and a half. Um, really, really struggled with understanding friendships. Um, was very, very impulsive and never understood why. We obviously got to the bottom of it and did a lot of work with this particular girl. Um, and it got to the point where lots of her friendship group were actually coming to me saying things like, um, she's pushed me again, she's shoved me again, mm. she shouted at me, she screamed in my face, she's done this, she's done that. And it actually yeah. got to the point where I sat down with that girl and I said, why, you know, why don't we teach your group of friends about you um, and yeah. really give them a proper yeah. insight as to, not as an excuse, but as to for them to understand you a little bit better and they understand, okay, yeah. that's why she does that. And sometimes she will do this and... and and what they've managed to do over the years now after that kind of teaching around ADHD and what to expect from that particular mm-hmm. particular child is that they really have really accepted her for all of her yeah. little quirks. Um, so, you know, Lovely. when she when she really does sort of, she does something very impulsive or she shouts and screams or gets very upset now, they're really supportive and actually reminds her when she hasn't taken a medication, which is That's which amazing, is really, really positive. Yeah. So they, they literally say to her, now have you had your had have you had your medication today? And we'll often take her down to the medical room and say she hasn't had it. So we will do teaching uh, to friendship groups. We're a big school, we've got quite a big SEN cohort as well. We do have um a, a provision obviously for from a teaching and learning point of view as well, um that, mm-hmm. that we call our XL group. So actually quite a lot of our students who are who who will struggle with friendships actually are already kind of drawn together and a lot of those so we 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 end up with a lot of positive groups from the teaching groups um which which helps as well um of course yeah and again we have clubs we have lego therapy we have rubik's cube club we have chess club we have all of these clubs because a lot of neurodiverse students might not always get involved in the extracurricular sport but quite often yeah. things like a Rubik's Cube club, uh, you know, games it's club, that, that type of thing. So we offer quite a lot of little clubs, so Jordan Social Time and so on, to, to obviously promote those uh, th- those times uh, for social interaction. It's fantastic that really you're able to offer all those things, isn't it? Really great, yeah, it is. Okay, so that, that, that was some really positive stuff in that answer. Thanks ever so much, Rob. So we'll move on now. Um, so now I'm going to put a similar question to Anne-Marie. Um, but flipping yeah. it so it's for the home. Yeah, so what can absolutely. be implemented at home? Well, I think a lot of what Rob said, you know, is just kind of translating that into the home. And yeah. I think at home, often, particularly if there's peers or cousins or neighbours around, there's lots of opportunities there for sort of modelling and mentoring and being very proactive in getting that skill set up. And I think um, using something in common is absolutely key. We 
you know, Rob throws it through into the conversation. You mentioned it, Claire. And, you know, I, I want to really pick up on that because I know lots of times when we are working with families or working with professionals, it's really about anchoring in to a common kind of interest. And I think that can often be a real productive seed to developing those social skills and, and developing friendships. And we've kind of labelled a few sort of um, ideas and, and thoughts there. And I think I've certainly worked successfully with things like sharing boxes, which we sort of alluded to before. But also, I think in terms of activities and sports, it is important that we do maybe find a group or a common thread that we can link into yeah. and not sort of rule it out because we think, oh, that they're not going to sort of be able to participate in that. Because often, because sometimes our kids are pretty good leaders, you know, I, I know um, neurodiverse children who've been particularly good kind of scout group leaders and yeah. um, have gone sort of up the ranks fa fairly quickly because if they were the ones sort of making up the ideas and creative with their thinking, then they're very embraced in that environment. Yeah. So finding an activity. I know kids who have been successful at football clubs, but they've been goalie. So they've had a very clear sort of role to play. Position, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A clear position. So sometimes it is kind of finding that group, but also when we do find that group, remembering that we think of our um, kind of social skills as a balance and actually we're really tipping the balance on demanding a lot from our social skills when we are participating in any social group. So to make sure that, you know, if that is happening at eight o'clock, we're not just expecting our children to come home get ready for bed and go to bed you know that they will yeah, need it might take some time that to recovery just, yeah. time and, and yeah you know recovery time from social interaction and social communication for our children is something that's really important and I think Rob you probably find in school that's something that you sometimes have to provide as well after those more socially demanding times in the day at school and and the same you know applies at home sometimes we maybe overlook it more readily at home than we do in school. Yeah. I, I, I was talking to uh, my daughter the other day and she was telling me about when they read in school because I noticed she was putting a lot of, like, you know, she was writing in her diary that she'd read a lot. And so I think at the moment they're doing it so that they read sort of after break times and after lunch times, yeah. you know, so they're having like that just little bit of quiet time. And that might not suit everybody, but she loves, you know, she that's she's yeah. all for that sort of sitting down and having that bit of quiet after um, lunch times and stuff. So, yeah, just having a little bit of down, yeah. downtime. And to come down time, it is really important. And, yeah. you know, I always think, you know, when I'm training and, and talking to people, I always try and encourage people to think of, all the social demands for our children as hard work you know that's their yeah. that's their working day really yeah of course okay so moving on now there might be times where it's not all gone to plan the things we've put in place <laughs> everyone has tried their best you've discussed and practiced strategies with a child but you know at the end of a day, they're still left with that feeling of being let down or left feeling sad or not included by something someone has said. What are your thoughts on managing this and how can we help the child who's sort of left feeling disappointed? 
I think it, it, it's it's easier said than done um, for me, but yeah. it, it's it's to remain positive. I think it's it's yeah. very very easy, and I think I, I think it's very easy sometimes as a as a parent as well, which I'm not currently, but very easy to be disheartened and and not expect yeah. that it's ever going to get any better. Um, yeah. And I think that's why I've said it a couple of times now. I think that's why I, I do put emphasis on on celebrating some of the smaller wins that you get during yeah. the day. Um, and really, really over-egging those wins. Even if it could be something mm-hmm. really, you know, really small, where your child comes home and says, "I've had a conversation with someone today," and yeah, I think it's that's really a big step, isn't that's, it? It's that's, a step that's huge, isn't it? You know, reg- regardless yeah. of the context, you've been involved in social interaction. You've come home. You've told me that yeah. it was a positive experience. Yeah. So I think for me, it, it really is, and remaining positive. I think it's very, very easy to to feed anxiety where there's already anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that if you are if you are a neurodiverse student uh, who is really struggling with friendships, you know there is going to be a level of anxiety there, and you're going to want to put it off a little bit more. And I think, especially as a parent, and especially as the adults, we've got to remain positive because we know it can get better. And I think yeah. I think at times for that child, it's very hard to to see it getting better. Um, and we've so we've Just rather than trying. feed the anxiety, we've got to feed the positivity and and, and try and draw on you know the, the swift so has been a, an upset situation let's try and find some level of positivity from it from uh, yeah that would be my view as well you know we've, we've mentioned already haven't we about things in common and actually it is common to feel let down yeah, or disappointed by people sometimes and I think you know acknowledging that and teaching that teaching mm. that we all feel like that sometimes sometimes everybody feels like their friends let them down or yeah. the partners let them down someone's let them down they're not emotions that we don't experience as human beings and because of our um, sometimes pigeonholed social experiences for our neurodiverse children we we kind of miss out don't we reminding them and us that actually yeah we all feel disappointed sometimes and I think learning what that emotion feels like and the resilience bit you mentioned, Rob, is really valuable, isn't it? It's an important part of the practice, isn't it? It is, it's part of life. And you mentioned social stories earlier, Rob, and this is exactly, I think, where social stories can be really good for our children because, after all, they are to teach social experiences and not a storyboard of what's going on. Sometimes the mistake people make that actually social stories about revealing a social situation. I think social stories can really lean well towards teaching about things like disappointment, like um, not experiencing a friendship in the way that we thought we were, you, you know. Maybe yeah. sharing it, part of your friendship is a, is a good one for social stories to, to work well. Talking about sharing, talking about disappointment talking about boundaries social boundaries so you know I think um, that is a really good tool but I think acknowledging the experience as well is is good and and as you say Rob finding that you know commonality it's that is a commonality that as human beings we all experience now it's something that we've already touched on um during our discussions so far but many people see really amazing and positive results when their child is able to join a club or a group that they've got a keen interest in so what are your thoughts on this and do you have any success stories of your own that you might be able to share here and marie maybe if you can go first yeah, I think um, definitely we've said, haven't we, that if we can find an interest and, and use that interest. And 
I certainly wouldn't shy away from special um, sort of special needs specific groups of uh, the, a young lad lives nearby to me actually and his highlight of his week is and has been for quite a long time to attend their local special needs um, football club. So there's a whole range of of different kids with different needs. And then I also know I'm kind of um, hot on cycling myself and the cycling fraternity offer a great opportunity as well for sort of special needs and assisted cycling. Yeah. And I think sometimes, um, especially with neurodiverse children, we think that is it appropriate to hook into some of those more sort of um, specialist facilities? Yeah. And I would say give it a try. Don't be afraid and and don't sort of um, back off it because Mm -hmm. sometimes being kind of best at something is a really nice position to be, not one that I'm commonly familiar with. But, you know, (laughs) I do think it is a good, um, you know, a, a good feeling to be able to support yeah. and uh, you know rob mentioned earlier didn't he about the value of supporting feeling you're supporting someone who's yeah. maybe got different needs to you and i think those situations often provide that facility for our children mm. to be able to feel like they are the ones that are helping out helping others and the young yeah. lad that i mentioned because of his success at the football club he now is a member of Young Farmers. And oh, at one wow. time, he would never have been confident enough to join yeah. something like that. And he, he goes to Agriculture College. And so Bastard. having those sort of connections um, and positive experiences in group um, environments lead on to other things. They're not kind of, well, that's it. They're in a special needs football club and that's where it will stop. You know, I think it's like often, building blocks. Yeah, definitely to that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think from I think from my point of view, we also um, we also have little roles within schools. So we have people like working in the library, students working in the library. Uh, so we have like library assistants as well. It, it is one um, where it's not necessarily a, cl- a club, but it, there's, there's a level of responsibility there, where which is again is another opportunity to to, to use social skills and, yeah, and be able to yeah. to converse with other students. So it's quite positive. Yeah. And feeling like an important part, having an important role, being a cog in that in that wheel. That wheel. It's important so to everybody, yeah. isn't really it? No matter what, what your age is. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I we also really have DAV. So we, we really, really try and promote oh, DAV. Yeah. A lot of our neurodiverse students join DAV because, again, you've got yeah. those very, very small groups going on very long walks. So many experiences Oh, it's a fantastic well, experience, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, very positive. And I tell you what, I'd want one of my our kids to be... Um, doing the orienteering bit for me yeah. <laughs> I'm useless make sure you get you to the right place exactly yeah. I, I can't find my way out of an envelope I definitely would sat now for me yeah so we know that this can this topic can be difficult to discuss as we all want our children to be happy and have friends so it can be an emotional one for parents and carers to think about and and tackle really so i just like the last part of our podcast to be a sort of a final thought from all of us it can be anything a positive message an experience uh, just a snippet of advice to our listeners so I'll go first because I'm sure that you guys have got some very wise words of wisdom to sort of finish on um so so my thought is that sometimes when it comes to making friendships almost for some people less is more you know 
You can be kind and good to everybody, but in my opinion, you really only need a small, supportive and reliable unit around you. I think, unfortunately, now there is a want for children to be seen to maybe to be seen with the, a big group of people around them or a big group of children around them for older ones it might be they're getting so many likes on a social media post or whatnot um but my thought is that you know one good friend who really cares about your welfare and happiness sort of far outweighs a group environment really and that's just my my final thought. So over to one of you guys now. Yeah, uh, from me, I think it just kind of echoing uh, what I've already said. It's it's to it's always going to be a roller coaster. Friendships are regardless of whether you're neurodiverse or not. Um, they're hard for all of us to understand, and and sometimes we'll, we we will be let down, and and sometimes I think it's worth noting that we will also let people down. Um, so the, yeah. the, there is both sides of that coin. I think it's to celebrate celebrate the small wins over celebrate the small wins. Um, please don't be disheartened and shy away from social opportunities where they are possible whether that's just yeah, going to the go park or whether it's going for a bit of fun somewhere don't shy away for it from don't shy away from it due to past experiences just keep yeah. keep allowing for those um, those opportunities for social interaction where possible that would be my message I think I absolutely agree with both of you. And I, I kind of was just reminded um, some years ago, I did the Friends Programme training, which was by um, Paula Barrett. And it was way back in like 2015. And um, in there, they talk about star starters. And I, I kind of sometimes think for our kids, that might be where we do like um, sentence ideas or like, what's your favourite colour or what's your favourite yeah. animal? And sometimes at random dinner parties, people will put those question cards under your plate, won't they, for you to chat yeah, to people. To you know, you go yeah. to like a work function or something just to get things moving. And I think sometimes for our children, even if they've got them in their pocket, but they never need to use them, it just gives them that confidence to strike yeah. up a conversation with somebody. And, you know, that absolutely, I think that one important friend is totally invaluable and often all we need but I think exactly. sometimes if, if we are expecting kids to expand their social skills then to give them a tangible way of doing that a tool so a star starter in their pocket to remind yeah. them the kind of things you can say to someone to strike up a conversation, to get the conversation that, going. that awkward moment yeah yeah well, that was a brilliant session. So thanks for your time today, you guys. I'm sure um, the answer to today's question will offer so much advice, support, and, you know, just hopefully reassurance to families that might be going through those those sorts of situations. Um, so if you are listening to this, you probably already know of the other support materials on our website. But if not, please do take a look at withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash resources or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So a big thank you to everyone who's been part of making the session possible today, to our speakers, our listeners, and I hope you can join us on another episode in the future. So bye for now.